Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say, and I ASP gonna find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the lip. Drop down. Say, well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, surf looks good, Ivan. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Ryman. Oh, those guys are back! <laughs> Get a haircut, you Yes, Shredniks, Waxheads, Frothers, Sweaters, Howleys, Barneys, Kooks and Blowins. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, your weekly dredge of all things surfing. Ryman, the lines are stuck to, to the horizon, buddy. That's right, Jed. We're going to catch up with the poison quill himself, Mr. Lewis Samuels, later in the program. Got to credit Dan with not just the things that he actually does, but the things that he doesn't do, but possibly could have done, even though he probably never would have actually done any of those things. And we're also going to slip on our 6mm dry suits and dodge grizzlies on the west coast of Canada with Canuck Pro Peter Devries. Yeah, no crossbows or grenades, but um, you know, some, some guys like to carry a, carry a gun. First we're joined on the line by one of modern surfing's more intriguing characters. Um, he's probably the most recognisable face in the avant fringe surfing movement with two successful indie bands to his name, a recent range of clothing, he also dabbles in art, photography, Shapes his own boards, would you believe, Ryan Man, and surfs like a ballerina on Benzedrine, direct from Costa Mesa, Mr. Alex Nost. What's up? How do you do, Al? Doing good, just, uh, just hanging out. Now, uh, we've got you on the show today. You're going to play us a few records. We're going to chat about your life and times. Um, now... Al, I know you're you're going to be reluctant to admit this, but you, you know you've been pretty uh, you've been highly influential in this recent resurgence of alternative surf culture. Now, what I find interesting about this uh, is you know given the era of the sport you grew up in, the same one as me, Al, uh, it was a very highly conservative era of um, surf culture. What made you so different, Al? What, what inspired you to uh, what inspired you to be different? Um. Well, like. Uh, I just, like I said, I just grew up surfing with my dad and, and his friends, you know, um, so riding longboards, like, wasn't, it was kind of like, like, um, kind of like being a geek, you know, <laughs> like, uh, with amongst the shortboards and stuff, because it's like, you know, it wasn't, it's not like cool, it wasn't like cool, you know, it was actually the like, opposite of cool, it was like, you know, it was just something I did with my dad, like his friend. So I kind of like um, just ended up going to the beach that way, and um, so I kind of like I knew about professional surfing, and I knew all those guys, like or I, I knew of them, but I in my experience was like introduction to surfing was just a little bit, a bit like more recreational, you know, not like a job. Now culturally, surfing was in a pretty good place in your father's era, wasn't it? Um, uh, I just. You know, growing up and looking at surfers, those days it seemed like they looked at it as like a pretty open mind, you know? It was like, you know, if you didn't want to like go to school and uh, you didn't want to have, you know, a trade, I guess you guys call it on so you, you had to like kind of think outside the box, you know? Some people made surfboards, some people sold drugs, or it was kind of just whatever they could do to keep surfing, you know? So that was like, because 
it's it's the best, you know. That's like what you're always trying to do is go surfing. Surf good waves, have fun. Um so I guess I guess tried I just tried to keep doing that. Yeah, like uh making radio shows, I suppose, out of um my cousin's bedroom is, is another example of uh ways you can eke a living off surfing. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's right on. So you're doing something fun and uh and then you're you're not like serving coffee. It's cool. That's right. And I know nothing about selling drugs, Al, but um, a little bit about buying them. But anyway, uh, you've, f- first up, uh, you've selected uh, Shady Lane. All right, let's hear it then. This is Shady Lane. We went touch, 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 touch a redder shade of neck on a wider shade of trash. And this emery board is giving me a rash. Your second track is from a local Costa Mason musician, uh, Matt McClure. Yeah. But um, first, can we talk a bit about Costa Mesa, Matt? Um, just to give people like a, an idea of this place. On on one hand, you've got you know you've got all these big streets, these big cars, big people, right? <laughs> big flags, um, just like the rest of Middle America. And then on the other hand, you've got this world class kind of garage music scene with. Bands like the Drowning Man, the Growlers, the Hindu Pirates. Um, of course, your two bands. You had the Japanese Motors there, and now tomorrow's Tulips. You've got innovators like Robbie Keagle, the uh, that young tweaker board shaper. You've got Andrew Doheny, yeah. the um, the hi-fi shredder. 
who uh, you know, he famously gave up an Almeric con contract so he could um, ride his own crafts. And, and of course, there's also, you know, there's the Captain Helm surf stores, Kid Creech down the road in Newport. Al, what is it? About Costa Mesa. Uh, well, I think it's it's something like if you uh, you know, you if you're like getting flashed in the lights with with a bright, or if you're uh, getting flashed in the eye with a you know bright light, you're, you're eventually gonna put sunglasses on. You know what I mean? It's like uh, uh, I think um, it's kind of like the yin to the yang. Uh, it's 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 so heavily weighted on one side. There's like a you know, every every action has an equal or opposite reaction kind of thing. Alright, let's play it now. This one's called I Fell Off the Earth. I 
But Al, um, you haven't been without your critics, man, which is, you know, I suppose not surprising given the, the conservative era of surfing we've just emerged from. Now, I don't, I know you don't like to bite, bite back at some of the criticisms, uh, but since you, sir, brought uh, our attention to this, I thought I'd read out a just a little spurt of the vitriol you've copped over the years. Um, now, for our listeners out there, this is a, an account of our surfing as seen through the eyes of lost board shaper and influential surf guy Matt Biolos. Um, I believe this was published on the internet. And a warning, if you're a child or a, uh, a homosexual, you might find the following offensive. Um, all right, so... If you can just imagine a, a kind of a, a burly Californian uh, voice here. A shout out to Jason Ratboy Collins. That's the uh, the old school Santa Cruz kind of air guy. Who's that pillow biter you're hanging with, out with, huh? You know that little girl on the longboard with the striped dress? I mean, wetsuit. Is he gay? Are you sharing a room? Rat shrugs it off and paddles out. The little queen catches waves and does the most unabashed ballerina prima donna posed surfing antics I have ever seen in my entire life. The boys proceeded to line up along the beach and in unison mimicked every hyperextended pose the little priest could come up with, hammering the poor boy for his entire pre-planned faux art house ingenue surfing expose. The kid's name was Alec Nose, Alex Nose, and evidently he's hot shit right now. All name, no game, and people like you, I think he's talking to us there, right? So. Uh, you tell the kids that this is talent. Judging by your... Uh, your continued creative output, it, it, it doesn't seem to be gaining any traction, um, you know, you, you've, uh, but uh, has it been difficult to sort of maintain that, that trajectory, you know, you're not afraid to, to try things, obviously, you've, you know, you, you dabble in a, a vast array of kind of creative pursuits, um, but with like criticism and, and whatnot, has it been, do you ever second guess yourself? Um, yeah, I, I always, um, uh, I'm always like uh, my own worst critic. Yeah, I usually like, I usually like don't like anything I do. Usually, yeah, at least at least like a, if a couple months pass, yeah, I don't like it at all. Usually, sometimes the next morning, you know, whether it be like surfing or boards or music or, um, yeah, no, I usually just don't disapprove of myself. <laughs> well, um, I mean, we're glad you are. Uh... You didn't disapprove of yourself too much because this is one of the um the more well one of the creative pursuits you've you've been a part of. This is uh we're gonna play you a track from it so far unreleased and maybe never to be released Japanese Motors album. Uh, I believe this is this is outdoor minor, right? Yeah.
that was the Japanese Motors Outdoor Miner, which, Al, it was um, unreleased, wasn't it? You Just when the Japanese Motors broke up in around 2008, you had a string of shows coming up, support for the Black Lips, you're going to South by Southwest, and you had this album just sitting there waiting to be put out. What happened? Why did it all fall apart? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes things just... Uh... They have their time and then they expire. And, uh, you know, you got to grow up sometime. And um, artistically, you know, I think we were all kind of getting into different stuff. You know, we kind of want to make, we all kind of had a different opinion as to where uh, where the band should go stylistically. But, uh, you know, we had different members and traveling and touring. And, um, yeah, so we just... Uh, kind of called it quit, you know, and I feel like, well, as soon as we all figured we don't want to do it anymore, it felt kind of like, um, it feels kind of weird to go on tour and like not, not really, uh, you know, you're kind of doing it, but you're just doing it to do it. You're not doing it because you like it or you believe in it. And, uh, it's kind of like once, once the car gets moving that fast, it's kind of hard to jump off. So we, you know, while we were going slow, we found a good, good spot to get out of there. Yeah. Right. So, but, at the start, you guys were having a great time, right? You were learning, almost learning to play together, and you were playing yeah. at parties and keeping things going all night. And oh yeah, yeah, that was that was it was awesome. You know, those are the best. That was the best steps. But I mean, you get to a point, you know, where the, some of the guys were even older older than me. You know, so they were like getting to their late twenties and kind of figuring out, like, you know, what what they wanted to do with their lives. And so everyone kind of got to do their own thing, and and you know, pursue what they wanted to. So it was good it was good timing. At the same time you began Tomorrow's Tulips, which is the band you're currently playing and touring around with, which is you and your girl, right? Yeah, and Ford Archibald plays with us. Ford, Matt 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 Archibald's yeah, cool. son of course. Yeah, yeah, he's a bass player. He's all time. Do you get Archie at the gigs, man? Standing up the back in like a, a black Gestapo jacket or something, I don't know, covering up his neck tats? No, I no, I don't think so. No, I <laughs> no, I, I don't think he's ever been to. Maybe no, he's maybe he's been to one of our shows. Yeah, we've been playing a lot of shows, but um, Matt has like a bad back right now. He he hurt his back. Ah, uh, you see, man, that's where that's where progressive surfing gets you, Al. You're on a you're on to a winner there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm highly I'm highly unprogressive. We're gonna play uh, tomorrow's tulips tracks. This one's amongst some star. Yeah.
Now finally, Al, um, you've selected for us a track by Beck, which uh, which you say is, is, is kind of the, the best music, some of the best music you've been alive for. Um, surfing is also in a pretty damn nice spot at the moment. Um, what's got you ex- excited about where surfing's heading? Super grateful to be, to be surfing, you know, and uh, I think all the stuff that's going on right now is really, really cool. Um, a lot of good surfers and... A lot of good attitudes, which has been cool. A lot of, like, uh, support, a lot of warm embrace. I think that's, a, like, you know, like, uh, serving is kind of like a, kind of like a, like a lost brotherhood, you know. So it's kind of cool to, cool to see it come back. Everyone, you know, even Hawaii this year was, like, everyone was, everyone was psyching. Having a good time. There's a lot of good surfers, and I think all the good surfers have a good outlook on what's going on, you know, and, uh, I don't know, pretty, pretty excited I get to, you know, be on the, on the sideline checking all the cool stuff out, it's really cool. Alright Al, well, thanks for joining us on Ain't That Swell this week, man. You got it, man. This is Beck, Teenage Waste Basket. This is Alex Snow, and you're tuned in to This Is Swell. Life Ain't Swell, Ain't Life Swell. Close it up, Ain't That Swell. Ain't That Swell. Well, we have many idols, none more, however, than the man you're about to hear next. That's right, Ryan, man. He's arguably surfing's premier scribe of the moment, and his zenith attracted more fear and loathing in surf world than the great white shark. He was too badass for Surfline, but we'll take the hairy little man any which way he likes, Lewis Samuels. The 
Rio Pro. Uh, what did you make of it? Well, Brazil, man, I'll tell you. It, it represented like a massive leap forward for this kid who has to be the most progressive, innovative surfer on earth. And obviously I'm talking about Dane Reynolds. Dane Reynolds, of course. Yes. What, what, what was, what's, mean, Dane, what's Dane been up to, Lewis? Well, I mean, think about the contest in Brazil, right? Like who surfed better than Dane at that contest? Did anyone beat Dane in the heat? Um, well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's hard to judge as always surfing subjective, especially when you have, um, Six nope. months to compile. Six months to compile a um, a clip on, uh, on the internet, you know. But I, you know, some would say John John probably potentially could have beaten Dane. I don't, I don't know. Well, he didn't, right? There was there was no definitive heat win. Nobody beat Dane, so he's the best technically still. I think Dane has really figured out the zen of winning, right? That if you don't have the title, there's no way to lose it. So there's no way he can lose effectively. Yes, interesting Absolutely. thought. No way. It's, it's very fringe. It's very alternative. Uh, you know, we're kind of going back, delving into the um, the backlogs of, of fringe surf culture. There, it's very—I don't know—it's a very, uh, very philosophical way of looking at surfing. The unquiet. The- well, he's on a whole—he's on a whole different level than anyone else, Jed. I mean, that's the thing. You got to credit Dane with not just the things that he actually does, but the things that he doesn't do, but possibly could have done, even though he probably never would have actually done any of those things. Yes, interesting. The unquantifiable world champ. Maybe that, is that his new? Is that his new? Yeah. Topic? It's a little bit like quantum physics, right? Uh, you know, the particle can be in two places at once. So, and I've also heard them say that, you know, how Kelly, you know, Kelly wins at everything, right? Kelly wins at golf, wins at backgammon. Dane has actually never won anything in his life. Not a board game, not a hand of poker. It's like Jesus or something. He's too selfless to ever take victory for himself. Ah, right. Okay. So Dane remains the best in the world. It's that simple. He's the best in the world. I mean, and you got to think not a, just about the things that he didn't do, you know, but all these different levels of things he didn't do, right? He didn't beat John John in the final, sure, but he also didn't record an album that's better than anything Arcade Fire's done. He didn't find an indicable solution for the austerity issues in Greece. He didn't turn uh, water into wine. He didn't cure cancer, but... You know, he, he could have done all those things, Chad. I, I think it's safe to say. Right, yeah, we can only guess. And I mean, uh, uh, I suppose through Marine Layer, maybe um, maybe one day he will, uh, you know, reveal all those things, Louis. It's unlikely. He doesn't seem to update much anymore. No, that's, that, but that's still, right. Yes. You but you never know. Um, anyway, back to the uh, Billabong Pro Rio. And John John did win it today. And uh, I'll tell you what, Louis, looks legitimate, this kid. Yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, find bad things to say about the way he's surfing. Uh, and if you look at the schedule ahead with uh, those contests in the South Pacific, and then the beach break events that remain after that are pretty much dumpy, closed-out, hollow beach breaks. Uh, if they have decent swell at Oscar, if they have decent swell at Super Tubes, uh, he doesn't have too many weak spots. But all the same, like I think what today represented was him figuring out how to win the contest on the tour and that's one thing right winning a title is another thing so i wouldn't be canceling him in there yet for the contender spot uh, it's a long year and usually those young guys run into some issues mm, it is a long year and and you know but i suppose what's going for him is uh, the fact that yeah he, he seems to be proficient in, in, in every wavescape that there is i, I was at the uh, the snapper event and i saw i mean it was his first heat i think in, in, in a real blustery kind of southerly wind and uh 
I think he racked up like a 19.6 out of 20. I think he'd never even surfed snapper before. It was his first surf out there in a heat. Um, interesting, straight out of, you know, Hawaiian winter juice into, you know, eight-second or, or, or ten-second short period slop, and he knifed it, man. It's pretty frightening. He's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I think the only weak spot you can really see in terms of actual surfing right now might be slow at point breaks. That he just hasn't spent as many time surfing uh, waves where you do like six or eight turns down the line. And uh, guys like Mick and Parko and Kelly, I think in those conditions, might still get rewarded for that flow that they have in, in their surfing, the ability to link big power turns. Whereas John John seems to be coming at it kind of a little bit more off the cuff, just throwing up, you know, whatever he's got and whatever section is in front of him. And uh, that might affect him in events like that. But j not in the tour anymore. So in a way, what does it matter? That's a good point. Now, uh, with John John's performance, uh, and Medina as well at Trestles, um, it, started, it is kind of shaping up uh, as the... As the year of the rookie, well, at the very least, there's been a lot of hype around the rookies, Lewis. Um, do we believe the hype? You know, Chloe, Medina, John, John, um, are they are they filling their billings? Well, you know, I think what it comes down to basically is that the, the judging right now, there's three different ways to get a score on an excellent range. It used to be you kind of had to get a really good wave and do a bunch of really big turns, maybe get a barrel. And at this point, you can get an excellent range score by just getting one good barrel at you know, a spot that's barreling or by doing a huge air and landing it the way that Kelly did at Bells. Uh, or you can link together like three big power turns. If you do all those things, you're pretty much getting a 10, right? But if you just do one of those things, you're getting an excellent range. So I think that some of those younger surfers understand this and they're the ones who are finding success, right? Like you look at John John, he gets it. You look at Gabriel, he gets it. Even Josh Kerr, who's not as young, he's figured out that he can surf heats and just take off on as many waves as possible, throwing up no-hope airs until he lands one, and then he's going to get an eight or a nine and probably win a heat. Uh, when you look at some of those other guys, though, like Kolohi and, uh, you know, some of those other kids, even Julian, I think that they're trying too hard still to conform to what used to be considered proper contest surfing. They're trying to put the wave together where they do everything. You know, like Julian's trying to do three big turns and then an air at the end. Um, and they're waiting around too much for the, the best wave of the heat to get the opportunity to do it all. And they don't need to do it all. They just need to get a little close out with a chip shot and throw up a really big spinner and they'll win the heat. So I think that's really the differentiation right now and why some of those rookies aren't having the same success that, that others are. It's interesting. Do you think it's, do you think it's good for the, the end product of surfing? I mean, uh, it can be exciting seeing a guy, you know, have six attempts at a move and then he finally sticks one and it's huge and he gets the score. Um, I mean, it's definitely a departure from the kind of more formulaic, uh, tick the boxes style of competitive surfing that, that, that's reigned over the last 10 years. Are we moving forward or backwards, Lewis? You know, it's really popular, obviously, to criticize the ASP and easy to do. But I actually agree in the end that rewarding single maneuver waves the way they have been uh, is for the best of the sport and is going to be better for the fans. And my argument there is that if you look at that Bells final where Kelly pulls out that air and arguably you know, wins the heat off of it, uh, even though he didn't actually get the victory, that's, that's better than what would have happened a few years ago, which is that that air, even if he did it, probably would have only been rewarded like a six or something. And I'm thinking back to that club sandwich maneuver Josh Kerr did in his first uh, season at Snapper at the end of a wave. And 
you know, he did that to come back and beat Nick and Eve, and they didn't give him the victory. They gave him a six or a seven or something for it. They didn't even know what it was at the time. And uh, I think it's more interesting in the sport when we're not just waiting for waves. And uh, as I said before, in that, that old model of how you win heats, you only got an excellent score by putting together like a great set wave and doing everything you could on it. And if guys can come back and win heats in, a, in another way, then it's more exciting for the fans because instead of watching 20 minutes of guys waiting for a set wave, you're watching somebody without priority on the inside just going to town trying to do every huge move they can. And to me, that has to be good in the end, even if you see some things that seem a little sketchy. And I don't think they should be giving 10s for single maneuver waves. Give a 9, but uh, a 10, you really should have done everything that's possible to do at that surf spot, you know. So if it's Bells, you got one all the way through. You did the crazy air. You did huge cars. You, you did the end turn and the short break. It, it should be everything, really. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Louis, that, that's all we've got time for today, man. Thanks thanks for joining us tonight. That's well. All right. Thanks a lot for having me, Jed. I appreciate it. Jed, do you ever wake up, scan the horizon down here at Bondi and think, hmm, I wonder if that left wedge in Angola is working right now? Yes, right, man. All the time. All the time. Which is why here at Ain't That Swell, in our bid to keep our listeners abreast of surf happenings across the globe, we bring you... The Obscure Surf Check. For this week's Obscure Surf Check, we're again headed deep into the North Atlantic. Peter Devries is a pro surfer from Tofino, Canada, a region which, courtesy of his talent and dedication, is slowly being revealed as a world-class surfing destination. Thing is, it's freezing, there's killer whales in the lineup, and lately grizzly bears have even begun migrating onto Vancouver Island, home to Pete's hometown Tofino. So you've had a pretty uh, serious swell season over there this winter, I believe, Pete. A few few 20-plus foot swells. Yeah, the, the buoys were really large this winter and super consistently big. It was 20 feet on the buoys, get 14 to... 17 second intervals very often this winter with the amount of storms out in the Pacific and um, yeah it was, it was definitely a big winter right and uh, if we were to compare to Canada to say uh, an Indo or Hawaii um, yeah how does it compare I suppose I don't know it's, I'd say it's completely different um, here it's nothing like that we get these big systems that roll through and it can be howling wind for days on end and then you get a little little break of sun and, and clean conditions for just a moment and um, I'd just say it's a lot more fickle and a lot harder to, to read and to, to get those good days. Right and uh, so I hear also that um, a lot of the, the trips that you do are you basically the, the spots you're going to are only accessible uh, by boat a lot of the time. Can you talk us through I mean a, a typical sort of trip uh, Canuck style Pete? Yeah, boat trips up here are great. Um, where we live in Tofino, we're on a peninsula at the end of the Trans-Canada Highway. So anywhere you go north of here, you're accessing by boat only. There's no road access. We've got these crazy mountains and inlets diving down really steep mountains into the ocean. So it's basically very difficult to build roads. Um, and you're taking boats through these inlets and out into the open ocean into places that there's no people around at all. You're just surrounded by wilderness and, you know, looking for these waves that you're going to be surfing 
by yourself or with the crew that you've gone up with. So it's pretty incredible in that respect. It's a beautiful place, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing when you go up there and you actually get good waves and it all comes together. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of um, it's a kind of surfing that uh, I don't know, a lot of us, I mean, especially in the more populated areas, can't really fathom. Like, uh, and what kind of wilderness are we talking? We we heard uh, we've heard rumors the grizzly bears are even starting to to migrate over to Vancouver Island there. Yeah, they're coming up to the North Island, so hopefully they stay up that way. But um, there, there's a lot of wildlife around. Um, generally, they. The wildlife kind of keeps to to themselves, and we kind of do it our own thing, and they hopefully respect that and just uh, do their own thing and hunt what they're what they're hunting to eat. But um, um, there's black bears that get curious sometimes around camp. Um, tons of whales in the lineup, and uh, on land there's there's cougars and other animals that uh, are around too. Right, and, and killer whales, Pete. We hear there's killer whales bobbing through the lineups up there, man. What uh, have you ever had any any killer whale encounters? I haven't had any encounters in the lineup. I've just seen them in the harbor and on boats in the area, so they're de- they're definitely around. But um, you know, they're they're smart animals that know what they're looking for in terms of their food source. So I, I don't think they're going to be coming after humans anytime soon. Hopefully, they're just cruising around out there doing their thing while we're catching waves. Right. And uh, what sort of precautions um, do you take when you go on a trip in Canada? Uh, I mean, obviously, with the bears and around and killer whales and all these sorts of things, uh, I mean, are we talking crossbows, grenades, shotguns? <laughs> yeah, n- no crossbows or grenades, but, um, you know, some, some guys like to carry a, carry a gun just to be able to scare the animals away if they um, get too curious and start to rummage through camp um so it's you know it's it's nice to have that as a precaution but generally we we tend not to not to use those things but um you know once in a while you'll fire shot into the air just to scare them off and uh make sure they don't come into camp during night when you're sleeping right and uh so looking at a map of Canada, uh, you're further north of where you are basically it's it's kind of just hundreds of kilometers of in a very sparsely populated coastline um, that gets well year-round swell. It, you know, is this surfing's new frontier? Is it? Is it the Arctic? Yeah, I mean, I would say with with the amount of surf discovery that's happened over the last I don't know fifty years, um, it's a frontier that's relatively unexplored. Um, it's very hard to get to. You need to get crazy boats and resources, a lot of time and money. Uh, to be able to access these areas, so there's definitely hidden potential in these spots that are very remote and really cold that haven't been surfed, and there could be some world-class waves up there. I guarantee there are plenty of world-class waves north of Tofino uh, that haven't even been surfed yet. Uh, one of those trips you have done up there was with, with Patagonia and the Malloy brothers. Um, can you tell us about that trip and, and what you found up there? Yeah, that was a, an amazing trip last fall with um, Dan and Chris Malloy and a few uh, local guys, and Scott Stones was uh, shooting for a film that's uh, due to come out in the fall, I believe. Um, and we 
explored the area uh, called the Great Bear Rainforest north of Vancouver Island and south of the Queen Charlotte Islands. And it's a gorgeous area with tons of potential. We found some really fun waves and saw some good waves with a lot of potential on the, on any given day when the when the conditions are right. And it was also to raise awareness for a um, an oil pipeline, I believe, that, that's about to go in there or, or is um, proposed to go in there. Yeah, there's a, a proposed pipeline by Ambridge Oil that's going to take crude oil from Alberta and um, bring it to the coast of BC where it's going to be carried by super tankers to China and uh, the U.S., and um, yeah, it's a really scary thought for anybody who lives on the coastline. What could happen if one of these uh, super tankers were to um, capsize? And the the waters up there are very dangerous for ships of this size to be in. Um, there's lots of very narrow inlets and fjords that uh, can easily cause a ship to uh, get into problems up there, especially ships of this size. So. Um, hopefully it's something that never, you know, takes in, into effect and the government will realise it's a bad idea. Oh, you see, right, man, activism still alive and well in surfing? Sure is. Uh, all right, Pete, well, thanks for the obscure surf check, man. All right, thanks, guys. To take us out this week, we've got Canadian band Broken Social Scene. This is Windsurfing Nation. Sing. Two, three, four.
Give me more of that beat. 